Acts chapter 10. What's going on in Acts chapter 10? We are talking about evangelism. Remember, the first eight verses, this man Cornelius has had a, a divine visitor uh, telling him to send uh, some, some people to see Peter, a man named Peter and Joppa. And then in verses 9 through 16, Peter and Joppa receives a, a vision from the Lord. And that brings us to verse 17. And if you're able to, if you would stand with me in honor of God as we read his word together. Verse 17. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why you sent for me? And Cornelius said, four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. And your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who's called Peter. He is lodged in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. You may be seated. Father, we would ask your grace upon us to speak all that we have been commanded to speak by you. We pray that your spirit would go before us, softening hearts, our own hearts included, to make us bold and and to make others prepared to hear the good news of your son, Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. This morning, we are continuing to talk about evangelism, and and it's been mentioned, the the phrase, developing a a culture of evangelism. Let me remind you of a couple things we've talked about as we've been going through the book of Acts and and thinking about this. We've been looking at some some things, and we even had some definitions from this book Evangelism by Max Stiles, and I would encourage you to to sign up to receive a free copy of that book and, and, and be thinking through what it looks like to 
to proclaim the gospel. But a couple of definitions, let me remind you of. One was just the, the definition Stiles gave of the gospel. The gospel is the joyful message from God that leads us to salvation. And we talked about how we can expand on the definition. What is that, that joyful message? It's the message that even though we are sinners, separated from God because of our sin, in line of God's eternal wrath and separation from him, God in his great mercy sent his son, fully God, fully man, Jesus Christ, to live the perfect life that you and I could not live, and then to die on the cross, taking the penalty of our sin on himself, bearing the wrath of God, and then rose from the dead. And and now, because of Christ's work on the cross and his resurrection, what's true? We can have eternal life, and all we must do is place our faith, our trust, in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. That's this joyful message. That's the gospel. And what is evangelism? Remember, we talked about this last week. Evangelism is, is teaching. That's you know, instructing, either in conversation or, or in, 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 in a large group setting. Evangelism is, is teaching, communicating some truths about the gospel, about that good news, with the aim, the, the goal, to persuade. We want to see people who do not know the Lord receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And that work can only be accomplished through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, what then is a a culture of evangelism? Stiles, as he's talking about in the introduction of his book, why he wrote the book, he said someone asked him what's the book about. He said, what's about evangelism? He goes, well, actually, it's about a a cult, not just about evangelism, but a culture of evangelism, the whole church sharing the gospel. And he could see the person that he said that to looked a little confused. And he writes in his introduction, when I say culture of evangelism, I don't mean lots of programs of evangelism. In fact, it may surprise you that I would encourage many churches to cut their evangelistic programs. He says, instead, I want to explore how we, as a church, can integrate the responsibility that every Christian bears to share the faith into the life of our church fellowship, multiplying individual efforts. In other words, sharing the gospel, each of us have the responsibility from God to do that. And, and in this book, he's saying, okay, how, how does the whole church take on that responsibility together? So it's, it's not just a, a couple people in the church who are like super good at sharing the gospel. They say, okay, you guys are the gospel sharers. No, it's a, it's a whole culture full of people who are excited and passionate about sharing the gospel message. That's what we want to develop at Bethany. And we know there's nothing we can do in and of ourselves to create that culture here. There's no program we can have. There's no sermon I can give that's going to produce that. It's got to be a work that the Holy Spirit does. Imagine imagine that I have a friend, uh, James, here. Uh, James and I, we met recently. We were at a 5k charity run together and and we, we we ran it together and got started talking and and we you know where do you live oh i just live right around the block from where you live well let's start running together so we start running together every now and then once a week or two and we just have a great time talking about life and as we talk i find out that my friend james is the neighbor of someone who goes to bethany community church so he knows me and he knows my na- he knows his, his neighbor goes to bethany community church and then, as we talk more, his coworker at CAT 
goes to Bethany Community Church. It's also a member of our church. And, and then we're talking some more, and I, I find out that his, his son plays soccer with another kid whose family are members at Bethany Community Church. So now, how many times has my friend James heard the gospel message? How many times has someone tried, Ben mentioned the three eyes, invested in James, imparted their life to James, cared for him, and then in a gracious way implored him, hey, I would love to see you place your faith in Jesus Christ. How, how many times has that happened? Well, ideally four at least, right? There's four connections. But, but let me ask you this. How many times in the past week, let's even see this, how many times in the past month have you begun to invest your life in an unbeliever or imparted your life to them or, or, or implored them? How many times in the last month have you implored someone, in, again, in a kind, gracious way, to, to be reconciled to God? How many times have you shared the gospel with someone in the last month? If the answer is zero, what does that tell us? It tells us that if, if you're the neighbor or the coworker, the guy whose son plays soccer with, with James's son, it, it means that it's possible that James has never heard a clear presentation of the gospel. That's sobering to think about. James could have close interactions with four people from our church and, and never have heard the gospel. Brothers and sisters, we do not want that, do we? But a culture of evangelism isn't something we can manufacture. It's something that only God can accomplish. So here's the main thing I want us to think about together this morning. Let's do this as we look at this, this story. Let's pray that God would overcome the sinful obstacles in our hearts that make us reluctant witnesses. This morning we're going to look at Peter. Peter is a reluctant witness. We're going to look, look at obstacles that exist between Peter's proclamation of the gospel and him actually doing so. So as he interacts with Cornelius and the people that Cornelius has gathered together, Peter does a terrible job in some ways. He gets there, but it's with some starts and struggles. Now, I find that encouraging. <laughs> If someone as bold as Peter can struggle in evangelism and, and recover from that, that, that gives me hope as well. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to see God's preparation for us as his witnesses. We're going to see our reluctance to be witnesses as we see Peter here. And then we're going to talk about God's command for his witnesses. And then in the coming weeks, we'll continue to talk about evangelism. Let's, evangelism. Let's begin here. Let's look at verses 17 through 20 and talk about God's preparation for his witnesses. Look at the text with me. We've seen God divinely intervene in this story, right? He has sent a divine messenger to Cornelius. He has had Peter receive this special vision. At verses 19 and 20, he's going to give Peter a special message. So God has prepared this gospel conversation through his special revelation, but God has also prepared this, this gospel conversation to take place through his divine and, and sovereign ordering of circumstances. Notice, in fact, go back a few verses, look at the beginning of chapter 10, and, and notice how often in, in chapter 10 Luke lets us know about the exact 
timing of events. So at the beginning of chapter 10, Cornelius is praying, and it's the ninth hour of the day. Go down a few verses, and whenever Peter receives his vision, it's the sixth hour of the day. We come into verse 17, and it says, while Peter was inwardly perplexed. So that's, what's, that's the, again, the timing issue. While this is taking place, he's wondering what's happened. At that exact moment, these men that were sent by Cornelius arrive. And it tells us that they had been asking for directions. They find where Peter is staying, and now they're at the gate. And it says they had, uh, verse 18, they've called out, and it's, verse 19, it's while Peter was pondering the vision. Right at that that moment, the men arrive. Later, Cornelius is going to talk about what happened on what days. I mean, God has just been divinely orchestrating the circumstances for Peter to engage in this this gospel proclamation. God has prepared Peter for this witness. Peter is still going to be slow to grasp what it means, but these men have arrived at the exact right time for Peter's gospel proclamation. And as they're outside of the gate, the, the Spirit tells Peter, the Holy Spirit, rise and go down without hesitation. I've, I've sent them. This is, this is the, the moment, right? Now, you and I have been prepared for this moment in which we find ourselves to, to be witnesses, I was reading this this last week about the Inspector General's report and about the Capitol riots on January the 6th. And as I was reading through, it was kind of interesting to kind of hear different perspectives. And they talked about how different people had access to, to different warnings. They had seen some things online. They had heard about chatter that was going on and about people planning violence and so forth. And the report indicated that some people who are in some very key strategic places to, to sound the alarm and to let people know, hey, this is what's coming, they hadn't done so. And they kind of speculated what might have happened if the right people had given the right warnings at the right time. We look at the Old Testament. And Scripture describes the important role of spiritual watchmen. You, you go to the, the book of Ezekiel, and in chapter 33, the Lord talks about how Ezekiel is to be a, a watchman, and, and Ezekiel, in the, the first few verses of chapter 33, the Lord is speaking, and he's, he's telling Ezekiel, okay, whenever there's a watchman who's, who's looking and sees an army coming, if the watchman sounds the trumpet and gives the alarm, and, and people don't respond to that call to, to, to caution, and the city is overthrown, the watchman is not responsible for what happens. But if the watchman sees the army coming and the watchman says nothing, he doesn't blow the alarm, he doesn't say anything, the city's still going to be overrun, but now the blood of the people is on the the head of that watchman. And so the Lord says in Ezekiel 33, I've made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. Now, you and I, there can be no question as we think about God's divine special revelation that he has given to us, he has made it perfectly clear why we are where we are. God has placed us where we are 
when we are, so that we can be those who give a, a, a warning and a word of hope to the people that God has, has placed around us. You and I are at this, this place in human history, at this exact time, surrounded by the, the friends and family that we are surrounded by, so that we can give this word of warning and a word of hope to those who need to hear God's message of eternal life. Now, here's the question. If God has divinely prepared us for this moment, he's placed you there in the workplace, he's placed you with those neighbors, he's placed you in this, in this family, he's, he's divinely orchestrated events so that you can be his, his witness, his watchman, why would we hesitate? Why is it hard sometimes? Why are we not bold? I mean, we, we, we love the Lord. We, we love how, how he's changed us. We're grateful, and, and, and we want to see people come to, to faith in Christ. What causes us to hesitate? Well, let's talk about our reluctance to be witnesses as we look at Peter. There's kind of three things, three causes of reluctance that we see in these verses as we think about our reluctance to be witnesses, three, three things we see about Peter's reluctance as well. First of all, there can be reluctance due to willful ignorance, right? There can be a reluctance due to willful ignorance. I want you to look what happens with Peter here. The, the Spirit has just told him, hey, sent some guys, there's three of them down there, now go and, and don't hesitate to accompany him. So Peter, he's on, a ha- he's on the rooftop, and so he would have gone out you know, down the stairs on the outside of the house and come to the gate and, and seen these guys. And what does he say? He says two sentences, and these two sentences really don't go well together. He says, I'm the one you're looking for. I, you know, I, the, the Spirit has told me that you're looking for me. God has divinely orchestrated our meeting. That's the first sentence. And then the second sentence is, what do you want? Why are you here? I, I'm, I'm perplexed. What did Peter think they were going to say? Maybe he thought they wanted him to say, they were going to say, we want you to come heal someone, or we, want, we have some questions about Jewish law. We were wondering if you could answer for us. What, what did Peter think his purpose was here? We, we talked about last week the way in which the Old Testament had, had set up the, this picture of God reaching the nations. Acts 1.8, Jesus himself had told Peter, hey, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, the remotest parts of the world. There's been this vision that Peter just had. I mean, there's no excuse for this ignorance. It's, it's, it's willful, sinful ignorance, right? Why am I here? No idea. Totally clueless what I could be doing here. You and I sometimes are no better. In verse 22, they, they respond, they repeat the details regarding Cornelius. They say, we're prepared to hear what you have to say. Peter still later is going to plead ignorance. Not sure why I'm here. We're no better. We, we know why God has placed us in the, in the places he's put us. We find ourselves in a conversation with someone. Someone tells us about something going on in their life. And as they, as they share this thing with us, we know, boy, the only hope for this person is the gospel. God, I sure hope you share the gospel with them somehow because they need it. That, that's willful ignorance. We, we know why we're there. We should know why we're there. 
or we're, 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 we find ourselves in a hard time in life, and we're, we're going through a, a medical situation, we're going through a financial hardship, we find ourselves being persecuted, and we find ourselves in some places we do not want to be. And as we find ourselves in this place we do not want to be, we look around and we say, God, why? Why have you put me here? And, and willfully ignorant of the people that God has, has placed around us in similar circumstances or because of these circumstances, totally ignoring what his gospel purpose is in this. I was reading a story this morning about how God used Stalin in the, in the 1930s that you know, the Japanese invade Korea and, and, and in what's now North Korea, some Koreans flee to the USSR, and Stalin is nervous about all these Koreans, and so he, he, he puts them in, in different places. He forces, forced relocated them, and now they're in these locations, and these Korean Christians begin to share the gospel with people that, that the gospel witness had not been able to go to before. They've been very resistant to it. And the, the, these, these Korean believers didn't look around and say, God, why? They looked around and they, they, they were aware, okay, this is why God has put me here. I, I have this amazing opportunity to share the gospel. They did. And there was this amazing response to the gospel witness where you shouldn't be ignorant of the hour. We know why God has placed us where he's placed us is to share the gospel. Another reluctance, second reluctance here we see in Peter, and these are related, but, but there's reluctance due to what we call the sin of partiality. The sin of partiality. And we're going to be talking a lot about the sin of partiality in, in a couple of weeks. It's, it's really the root heart issue that, that leads to things like racism or ethnocentrism. Uh, the sin of partiality. Look what happens in the text. Let's look at verse 23. Peter invites these guys in to be his guests. And maybe, maybe he thinks, okay, I'm not supposed to treat any person as common or unclean, and so here are these Gentiles. I am going to invite them into my home, into, well, Simon the Tanner's home. So he invites them to be his guests, and, and maybe he thinks, I, I've done what God was telling me to do. He gets up the next day, and he, he goes with them, so he's gone with them without hesitation, and some other Jewish believers from Joppa go with him, and then they enter into Caesarea. Now, I want you to see, let's, let's, let's look at this picture from the, from the viewpoint of Scripture, what, what Luke is telling us about the scene. And then I want us to think about the scene from Peter's perspective. So, look what happens. He goes into Caesarea, and Cornelius meets him, and he falls down. Cornelius does at Peter's feet, and he worships him. And Peter lifts him up, lifts him up and says, look, I'm, I'm just a man like you. And what has Cornelius been doing? Look at verse 24. In anticipation of Peter coming, it's beautiful. Cornelius is excited, and he goes to his close associates. He says, look, there is a guy coming, and, and God has, has sent him to, to tell us this message. You need to come hear this. Okay, Cornelius. And so they go into his home, and he, he gathers his friends and, his fa- and, and says, look, you guys need to hear this. And he grabs his family and his, all his household, and he gets them into to his home. He says, Hold on, he's coming, he's coming. He'll be here, it's going to be this amazing thing. I, I don't even know what he's going to say, I, I just can't wait to hear this. God has told me about this, and maybe his friends are a little skeptical about this, but they're there. That, that's, that's the beauty of Cornelius, that's the beauty of this picture from Luke's perspective as he, as he 
gives us a scene. And, and Peter, imagine this, Peter has talked to Cornelius, and as he's talking to him, he walks in this room, and what does he see? He sees, from, from Luke's perspective, he sees a room full of people who want to hear a message from God, the gospel message. What does Peter see? From Peter's perspective, what does he see? Look what happens. He walks into this room, verse 27. He finds many people gathered, and he says to them, Look, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew, me, to associate with you or to visit anyone of another nation. But, shouldn't be here, really. But God has told me not to call you guys uncommon or unclean. So I'm here. Peter looks around the room and he sees, instead of seeing a bunch of people prepared to hear the gospel, he sees a bunch of Gentiles. That's the sin of partiality. It's a sin he's going to confess of in, in verse 34. We'll look at next week. See, God shows no partiality. He's going to say, what is the sin of partiality? The, the sin of partiality means we give more or less consideration to someone on the basis of something external about them. You're from a different culture, and I give you less consideration than I would to someone who's part of my own culture. I think less of you than I would think of someone who is more like me. Or maybe you're a celebrity or you're someone of a position of, of wealth or status. I give more consideration to you on the basis of something external about you. Now, how does this, we're going to talk more about this in the coming weeks. Pray for me as I prepare for that. It's going to be a little, a little dicey. But what does it mean in evangelism? In evangelism, it means I believe you must become more like me. The sin of partiality means, when it affects evangelism this way, it means that I believe you need to become more like me to be found more acceptable to God, to be more, more receptive to the gospel message. It means that I think that there are extra barriers for you and, and your cultural baggage than there are for me. You're not quite as valuable to God, implicitly or explicitly, I think this. And that, that's the sin of partiality as it, as it plays out in evangelism. Instead of me saying, look, you and I both need to fall down before God and receive his mercy and find our unity and value in his son, Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to talk about this more, but let me, let me just throw this out for this morning. I, I hear many, you know, I'm, I'm a white Christian, and I hear many in, in my cultural circles say, you look, I'm, I'm not guilty of the sin of racism, not something I struggle with. And it depends, I think, on how you define racism. If you mean, like, I'm, I'm, I'm not actively mistreating people who are different from me, or different skin color or culture. You're, you're, you're right. You're, we're not racist in that point, I, I hope. But if we go to the deeper heart sin, the root sin of the sin of partiality, of, of treating someone different on the basis of something external about them, boy, I'd be really nervous about proclaiming that has no pull on my heart. We'll come back more to this heart issue in the coming weeks. Pray for us, right, as we talk about this. But in our gospel witness, it affects us because we think there's, 
There's an obstacle that exists to me sharing the gospel with someone else because I believe that person is, is too different from me to be able to hear and receive the good news of the gospel. Another reluctance, a third reluctance we see here, is just simply a lack of love for, for God or other people. There's a huge callousness here as Peter walks into this room. Again, this is related to the sin of partiality. All these overlap. But he walks in this room, and verse 29 is just, it's wretched, right? I mean, Peter is a guy who's been staying with a tanner. He was, a tanner would have been perpetually richly unclean. But now he's objecting to, to coming and talking to Gentiles. He's saying it's, it's unlawful. It's not according to custom. And then verse 29, he walks in this room. He says, I guess I shouldn't call you guys common or unclean. So I came without objection. Verse 29, I ask then, one more time, why are you sent for me? Why, why am I here? What do you want? Where's the guy from Acts 2? You remember Peter in Acts 2? That guy's bold. Here's a bunch of people who are surrounding you know, the, the apostles and the disciples and stuff, and and Peter sees them. They're, they're asking what's going on. When they ask what's going on, Peter says, let me tell you, repent. Here, here's who Jesus is. Repent, believe, be baptized, become a part of God's family. Now, room full of people, what's going on? I don't know. What do you want? Why am I here? What's the difference? The first group were, were Jews. This group's Gentiles. There's a callousness. A lack of love here. There's two things that are happening in your life right now. Either, either one, you are actively sharing the gospel with other people that God has placed in your life, and you're doing so because you love God and you love these people and you want to see more people that you love worshiping the God you love. That's happening. Or, or you are sinfully reluctant to be sharing the gospel. If number two is true, don't be discouraged. Repent, pray, and ask for greater obedience. And let's look at this. Let's look finally at God's command for his witnesses. And, and we see it given through Cornelius in verses 30 through 33. Peter said, look, why am I here? And Cornelius, once again, notice the time, four days ago. So day one, I saw this angel. I sent messengers. Day two, and then Peter having the vision, the messengers arrive. Day three, uh, you know, and they, they stay with him. Then day three... They set out, day four they arrive, and Cornelius, notice his humility here. He, he tells what's happened, he reminds Peter again what's happened, and he says, so I sent for you at once, you've been kind enough to come, now therefore, look around you Peter, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all, all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Tell us everything. Bethany, Bethany Church, let, let's not make the people in our lives shame us by reminding us what our having to remind us what our responsibility to, to them is. 
Let it never be the case that an unbeliever has to receive some divine vision from God to tell them to come to us to hear the gospel and they come to us and, and they have to say, look, come, come, tell me all that you've been commanded by the Lord to tell me. Let's instead see God's special revelation here to us and, and, and be reminded and encouraged in our hearts by it. Okay, this is why I'm here. Let's, let's look at Peter, his interaction with Cornelius, and be reminded, oh yeah, 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 I, in the presence of God, I'm in these relationships with unbelievers, and, and as we're together talking, we are actually in the presence of God, and I have a responsibility to share with them all that I have been commanded by God to say. Let's not experience the shame of a failure to do what God has called us to do, and Instead, receive the, the grace that's in God as we are, are reminded of sin, not experience the shame, but, but turn it over to the Lord, repent, and receive his encouragement. Let's pray that God in his grace would overcome the, the sinful obstacles in our hearts that make us reluctant witnesses. I was thinking, I had a conversation with someone recently. We all need to grow in this, right? We all need to grow. I was having a conversation with someone recently, and they told me that I had, I had known their wife whenever we were in, in youth group together. I said, yeah, my, my wife, you guys both lived in the Dallas-Fourth area, and, and she actually came to your youth group as a kid. She visited with a friend. She was from another church. and she's, I said, we, So we were reminiscing about some of our same friends. And, and I said, well, what did she think of the church? <laughs> she said something funny. She, uh, he said, well, she says, that was the church where... Everyone kept trying to save her. <laughs> so what do you mean? He goes, well, you know, she came from a different church background, and they just assumed she wasn't a believer, and so they kept sharing the gospel with her. And now, they needed to grow. Maybe we need to grow in some of our, our enthusiasm, but th 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 there's a beautiful picture there, right? It, it, was, it was beautiful how person after person would want to share that gospel message with her. We're going to talk in the coming weeks about how we grow in this. How we grow in fulfilling this command that God has given us. And let's pray this morning again that God would overcome these sinful obstacles in our hearts that make us reluctant witnesses. Let us behold the beauty of God as a church and proclaim the gospel. And Father, we do ask this by your grace. We recognize that the, the gospel message we have is not our message, it's your message, and you've, you've given it to us as stewards. Father, help us in a way that only you can to overcome these, these obstacles that we have to, to sharing the good news of your son Jesus and the beauty of his name. We pray this in his name. Amen.